This week on The Wise Guys. You can decide what you want to do with your life. Other people's suggestions or influencers, social media influencers to influence you to keep watching and stay on social media. It's your choice because they're influencing you. They're not commanding you. Perspective. Mm -hmm. it's, it's influence, not a command. So now, but we get so pulled in because we're influenced by our desires. We have an innate desire to see what people are doing, see what they're doing with their lives, see what they're doing in their professional careers, see how, like, oh, I remember when this person was doing this. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mark Pruden, and you're now tuning in to the Wise Guys podcast, brought to you by Flowered Concrete. What's going on? This is your boy, Kevin Unglad, and welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a Wise Guys Live podcast, and as well as, you know, just an IG Live session as well. Um, shout out, first and foremost, I want to just say shout out to my brother, Mark Pruden, uh, one half of the Wise Guys, our co-host, he is tuning in tonight um, here on this platform on Instagram. And uh, yeah, so Wise Community, first thing first, this is live right now if you're hearing this this is live on ig so by the time you hear this it'll already uh become to pass but at the same time as well on top of it being live on ig it will also be repurposed again as i said as an audio format of the podcast it will be a bonus episode um i think for the week of episode 42 all right for episode 42 so with that being said let's get right into it i want to welcome tonight's special guest a very good dear friend of mine uh, someone who i looked up to saw as a big brother and a mentor when i was attending brooklyn college he was already on episode fifth no episode 17 yes season one episode 17 of the podcast with me and mark uh more than athletes, we talk a lot about athletes and sports uh, politics, but tonight we will be talking about mental health because my brother here is into mental health over at his job, and I'm going to allow him to speak a little bit more into that. But without further ado, I've been rambling too much. Please, Wise Community, welcome tonight onto the Wise Guys podcast and as well as this live IG session, my brother, the one and only John McLeod. John, welcome onto the show today, brother. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's a blessing to be here. And shout out to my guy, Mark. Good to see you, brother. How you on there? See my boy, Ben, uh, from work is on here, too. Appreciate y'all. Shout out to all of y'all. Glad they are on, for sure, for sure. Uh, first thing, uh, uh, foremost, uh, John, before we get started, I wanted to uh, send my regards and send my blessings your way. I know you just recently had a baby girl. She is so beautiful. She's so adorable. How's fatherhood a second time around, my brother? It is fantastic. She's eight months now, and she's moving at the speed of light. I, I thought my son was fast, and I thought that, you know, I could. I was doing pretty well, but she's she's another monster, her little self. She's so adorable. She's so, she drives me crazy, like, you know, but my favorite thing about her, she wakes up every single day with a huge smile the second she sees me, so... I'm, I'm, I love it so much. She she makes me smile. I'm happy. And I love my little boy too. Like we 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 go to bed. We have this ritual, and and we both we're watching some kind of show. Each of us. That's what we do. And then um, he he does this every night. He look over to me just to make sure I'm good. And then he then he go right back to his show. So it's like his his it's, it's awesome. So fatherhood is wouldn't trade it for anything. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Oh man. And you already know. Like I told you, you know. 
when I line everything up with, you know, uh, getting married, having a kid, I'm going to be coming to you with questions. I'm going to hold you to that, all right? Exactly. <laughs> always did, always will. Got your back. 100%, 100%. Um, my brother, Mark, I know you're on here tonight, bro. So um, if, you know, if me and John are into it, I'll definitely be sure that John and myself answers questions or I'll direct some of those questions to John. We'll open up the floor. But Mark, if there's any question that comes up that you think you can answer, my brother, could you please be sure to answer as well? Because I know you're here moderating the chat session tonight. Um, thank you. Uh, please and thank you, brother, um, if possible. Uh, so, John, uh, like I told you before, man, tonight we're talking about mental health. Mental health is a serious issue that we as young black men, young black women, uh, just young people of color, no matter what ethnicity or race you are, we suffer, we deal with, um, and, you know, the whole world in its entirety. But I really think that this is a pertinent point of conversation tonight that needed to be had. And I kind of wanted to get right into it, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Okay, so first thing first, uh, this uh, first segment of today's um, IG Live slash bonus episode is called Diagnosis. And uh, I wanted to read this quote to you. So this is from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So it says here, I feel comfortable talking with close friends, family, and community members, as well as loved ones about my health, right? 40.67% of those who identified as white answered with strongly agree or agree compared with 12.5% of those who identified as African-American and Black. So with this being said, um, John, I wanted to pose this question. And, you know, knowing that you, you know, you're starting to dabble into this, you know, in regards to what you do, and, and please, please provide as much background information as you possibly can. The question I wanted to ask you is, why does the African-American, Hispanic, and Asian community struggle with this matter? Why do they struggle with voicing their thoughts and their concerns in regards to mental health, especially when, you know, it's something that they probably never encountered before in their family, in their lives? Well, one of the things I like to, uh, I like to first point out is every situation is completely different, and everyone's approach is, is, is completely different. One of the things okay. that's also important to remember is that there is a, what we're, what we're discussing is the stereotype as to why the percentage is actually so low. Is, and the reason is because there is a belief that, that there's a stigma, like we, let me like to say, that is out there that says you are seen as weak or, or, or uh, inferior if you voice your opinions or say that you need help mentally. And that, and that is the thing that is, I believe, in my personal opinion, that is destroying the communities is because there is a lack of willingness to have the conversation uh, uh, externally. They'll have it internally, and they know they need help, and they will. They want to, but if you're sh if you're seen as weak, if you're seen as uh, too vulnerable, um, you know, people make fun of, 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 of. So let's let's talk about guys. People make fun of guys back in. The, well, I don't make fun of anybody, but I'm saying in reference to how I grew up, you would be made fun of if you know. If you had to, if you cried for something or if unless it was somebody had to die for you to shed tears or you weren't strong. And that's the thing. And but you, it doesn't have to be that way in order for you to get a mental breakthrough. And because that percentage is so low, it's because there is a stigma that says that if you have those kind of feelings, you're either crazy or you're too weak. And we take those things and we bottle those things up and we never actually deal with them. And then disease starts to happen. And then we destroy ourselves from the inside out when we all we had to do was have a conversation. So, and just to give everybody a quick background, I, I started with a partner of mine, a coworker. Her name is Melissa Rollins. We started um, uh, ESPN Trust. Um, and it's the, it's the first ever mental health 
initially uh, affinity group that is a resource to all employees across in, in the entire ESPN family. We we focus on mental health. Our focus is mental health, and having started the conversation with our uh, with our colleagues and with you know bosses and their employees and just making sure that it's okay to everybody understands that it's okay to not be okay. That's a, that's a very big thing for us. We always we say all the time, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to need a break, to need a mental break, to need some time, some space away. We understand that we're not machines. We don't, we can't just keep going. We understand that we're affected by things. And the big thing is it's okay to have a conversation and say, look, I am not okay today. There are things happening. Even if you're not ready to, to go into it, it's okay to be off your game. We live in a society, especially the sports world, you always have to be on your game. You always have to be top-notch because there's always that level of competition that says, you always see the meme, you know, while you sleep, I work. And, and, and it's... And, it's something that is is a fantastic thing in some some perspective, but in another perspective, it's destroying the entire community because we never give our chance ourselves that chance to rest. So what we what we opened up to the ESPN community was the chance to have the conversation, the chance to to access the resource that ESPN actually has for employees, and then the opportunity to just make the workplace a better place by simply having a conversation about things that you're dealing with and making it an open space so that employees feel comfortable to say, you know what, look, here's what I'm dealing with. You know, I may need help because we go through different things, whether we're at work or whether we're at home, at some point in time, we're affected mentally. And that's the most important thing. We can't bring our best selves to work if we're not dealing with the things that the thoughts and the things that are going on upstairs. So that's a little bit of the background on me. And that was my point uh, just to tie it back in. I think though, that's why the numbers are so low is because there's a mentality of weakness or a, a stigma that says you're weak. If you have these kind of feelings or if you think this way, and if you voice it, they, you're even weaker or you're whining or you're complaining, suck it up or tough it up. Like, you know, you know, this is, it's not that bad. And you, and you start to believe what you hear. So, if you start to believe like, oh, it's not that bad, when in reality it's ten times worse, then you then you start to you, you start to look at other ways and devices in order to try to fix something that can be that is happening internally and mentally. But if you had a conversation, it might have been easier to do so. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, you, I think you bring up very pertinent points. Um, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, because you know you 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 bring a lot into the conversation when you talk about the initi <clears throat> the initiative you and your partner started at um, ESPN, you know, and how imperative it is for all employees to have this um, the the adequate access necessary for mental health services counseling and for that you know additional support. Um, I wonder, what do you think about this? I wonder if we as a culture can um, articulate or voice that there is the potential or possibilities of inequities for people of color within the workplace when you think of mental health, because it almost seems as if we're under more duress and pressure to perform. 
it almost seems as if we're expected to perform and our chance at, you know, making mistakes and, you know, not getting things right at the first try are minimal. Like we're, it's almost as if we're not allowed to fail. And that in itself can be a, can like that can affect our mental health and we can be subjected to putting ourselves under unrealistic expectations and pressures that we've never dealt with before. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. That's a very interesting concept. And the reason why is because I've seen it firsthand. I've dealt with it firsthand myself. And I've seen people that I still talk. I've, it's crazy. Talking with somebody the other week that was dealing with some form of what you're speaking about. And, again, and it goes right back to having a conversation. Oftentimes, we tell ourselves things before other people tell us things. For example, you know, I was raised, I was raised as a black man to say, look, hey, look, when you go outside, you make sure you have manners. You make sure if you ever deal with these kind of people, you do X, Y, Z. If a cop pulls you over, you do X, Y, Z. If you get into an altercation, you do X, Y, Z. And I'm not sure if, I don't know about any other race that had to do what I had to do as a kid, but that those pep talks prep you for how you deal with certain things in the workplace. Because now those prep, those, because in my head, I'm subconscious saying, okay, I can't, I make sure I cannot act like that when I get, you know, or I can't make a mistake twice, like you were saying, because then I'm going to seen, going to be seen as incompetent and something they're going to pass my, my job or they're going to pass my, you know, uh, uh, my tasks to someone else. Um, but the, the solution is what I focus on the most. And the thing that is most important is that we have to realize is I'm a big, huge, massive cheerleader for failure. And when I say that to people, you know, it, it's taking it mixed emotions. I'm okay with doing something, giving it your absolute best, and if you fail, then, you know, what did you learn from it? I believe in failure as a tool, never failure as a stopping point. That that whole dialect in which your question comes with this understanding that we have to accept the pressure. I say it's okay to accept the pressure, but it's another thing to allow the pressure to change the way you think. If you change the like, because and I and when I let me go into that for a quick second, mm -hmm. changing the way you think is 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 pertinent for you to, for your success. There's things that are going to happen over and over again. They are people with ideologies in which you can't control. And my opinion is, there are so many things that are out of your control, and we spend so much time focusing on those things because they intangibly touch us that we miss the opportunity to take control of the things we can take control of. See, I cannot, I can't do anything about the way you think about me, but I can do, I can do something about the way others think about me. And in time, you may possibly change the way you think about me. I can't do anything about what you said about me. I can correct it with my own words. I can correct it with my own actions but I can't do anything about the ideology that you created. And a lot of times we get caught up. We get caught up in the ideology of somebody's opinion or a group of people's opinion, and we let that ideology form what we do. And that is the dangerous, 
That is one of the most dangerous things in our society. We look at the numbers, we look at what people have said, or here's the reason why things are falling apart, and then we believe it and we put those things into action. I am the proponent, I'm the person that says, well, okay, that is your opinion. I don't have that experience. Or even if I have that experience, I say, okay, um, similarly, may, may, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but I believe this. Or, like, I choose not to accept things. I'm not going to accept, and I, and I make sure, I, I, I made a pact with myself to, and my wife to make sure our kids understand this. We don't have to accept any stereotype that anybody put on us. Mm -hmm. we, we've gone to certain, I've gone to certain places in my life that God has taken me to. And I said, a guy that grew up in the hood of Brooklyn, I'm telling you right now, people look back. I've seen so many friends that was, you know, I used to play ball with all the time and they're in the same spot. Yeah. And I said, what's the difference? I, I love them. I love those people. But the question is, what's the difference between what I did and what they did? It's a decision. Yeah. That's the difference. It was a decision. It wasn't that they were incapable. But sometimes when we hear other people talk, we think we are, we believe what they say. And we, yes. we believe that life is going to be in this microcosm of the opinion of that one person that hits you in your heart, that hits you in your brain that said, no, you can only do this. Or say, here's an example of people that look like you that did this and was, was successful. When in fact, there's more than one, there's more than one way to be successful. And that's, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, ability of positive mental health. That's a fact. You know, it's interesting you said that, John, because, um, you know, me being an educator, um, and a teacher, and um, a, a mentor, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rehab therapist um, at a residential facility uh, for teenage boys. It's so interesting that you said everything you said about how you grew up in your neighborhood and, you know, and, and, and you take a second to evaluate your own circumstances at this current point in time, as opposed to that of your friends or your homies that you grew up with. Because um, I think about my boys, you know, whether as a teacher or even now as a rehab therapist, and I think about them. And one thing I constantly always tell myself is that I need to be speaking life into them at every single possible moment. Speaking life to you can be life-changing and life-altering, especially for a young boy who may have never had his father, his uncles, or any type of male figure in their lives. For example, um, we just had a boy who was here at the program with us for four months, you know, um, you know, a juvenile offender. He did some things that obviously he, he wasn't proud of, his family wasn't proud of. He went to uh, detention for about, I think, a good two, three years. And then he came, he came here to our residential halfway house facility, you know, which is a step down and in a more calmer environment for about four months. And, you know, as he was being discharged, I think it was Wednesday, I came to work 20 minutes early because I had to see him before he left. So just as I came in, I pulled him aside and, you know, I kind of did like, you know what LeBron usually does to like the young rookies coming in the league, like at the end of the game where he pulls him aside and he pokes with his chest and he, and he yeah, speaks like yeah, yeah. Same thing. I was like, yo, you're great. You are great. Don't let, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be issues. There's going to be um, hurdles along the way. And people will try to reel you back into that to that atmosphere of negativity. But I've seen what you're capable of here. Don't let anybody stop you from your purpose, from your destiny, and to your God-given talent that God has provided for you. So be great. I'm always here for you. And if you need me, I'm always one call away and, I, and that I love you. Because a lot of the times, these young men, they don't hear that. They don't know what it's like to be loved from a male that they look up to. So when you say that, 
Like they truly take it, they appreciate it, and they soak it up. Like I'm looking at this kid, and he's you know like while he was here, he was boastful. You know he was you know he was a like he like he plays ball too. So sometimes me and him we 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 go at it on the court, or when we when we play ball, he's like a little man. He's like nah, Kev, catch it catch it in your chest, yo. When you box out, box out, put it up strong, you know all this type of stuff. And I'm speaking to him, and he's like like a little boy, you know, with sad puppy eyes, listening to everything I'm saying. And I'm just like, you know what? It's because what I'm saying to him right now, he needs it. He needed to hear that. He's about to go home. He doesn't know what he's about to go back into. Maybe me saying that can help him in a way in which like he probably wouldn't have had the tools necessary before to maneuver. So speaking life is very important. And that goes for our friends too. No, like, you, I, first of all, I had the pleasure of watching you do that as a teacher. And I, when I say, and it's one of the things I will never forget, because I I watch you, I watch you go from a, a teacher to a basketball coach, and now and now now you're doing counsel. I, that what you're what you've done physically, actually done, is and what you're saying is, is is based on what you've done is exactly what we need to continue to do. Can, you can you want to know why the, the 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 numbers are so low? It's because what young black men are taught is love is toughness tough love and for the longest time when i when i grew up one of my friends his dad would say the streets don't love you mm -hmm. that oh you know he said oh you think you're tough but the streets don't love you and he was somebody who was who was who was an ex-con that came home and you know he was you know he was working his life he wasn't a janitor i forget what he was but um he he would always, and, and my boy wouldn't listen, but I heard him. And he would say things like, based on his experience, to say, look, you don't even need to live that life because that life has no promise for you. And it, to the notion of what you were saying about speaking life, I can't tell you how many times I believe in that so much because there's so many, you know, there's so many, we, we're taught, wanna be, let's be real for a second here. We're taught that White parents teach their kids that, look, hey, you can be anything you want. <laughs> and, then, and, but, and, and, we, and we used to laugh at that as, as when we were growing up because it was just like, you know, like, like, you know, making cracking jokes at it. But the truth of the matter is, it's not a white thing or a black thing. It's a, it's a life thing. It's not, a, it's not white or black. It's a life thing. You right. can ever you want to be. Right. If you just decide, mm -hmm. if you just make the decision, yeah. it's not about anybody else's opinion. It's not your mama's dream. It's your dream. Yeah. It's not your daddy's wishes. It's your. It's, they're your wishes. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want to do if you go after it yourself. And the thing is, there's so societies lower lower income societies have been taught there's only a few ways out. I either shoot this ball or sing this song or rap these lyrics or, or, or I gangbang or rob somebody or go to a better neighborhood and take what they have instead of doing what the better neighborhood did, which is work their butt off to go and get that. Right. But, look, but, but we use the anger that our society is throwing at us as an excuse to make bad decisions. And the most important thing is you can choose to make great decisions in your life. But the great decisions don't always come with the instant gratitude. That's true. And, that, and that's the thing. We're waiting for instant gratitude. Oh, you expect me to go to college? I'm not saying go to college. 
Bill Gates doesn't have a degree. The richest people in the world don't have degrees. What I'm telling you is, go find something that you're that you are passionate about, that you can help change the world. Go find something that you can transform somebody's life with, big or small, and devote every fiber of your being to that very thing. And when you look back over the years, you will realize that all of it was worth it. Because you didn't waste time worrying about what people said, worrying about the stereotypes, listening to the stigmas, acting on the stigmas, listening to the haters and what they had to see. The reason why they're haters is because they hate to see you succeed. But we waste, we waste so much time listening to them. By the time we get ready to do our thing, we don't have enough. Why? Because we didn't spend that time. What are you doing with your time is the question I ask people. People ask me all the time, like, yo, bro, help me get a job at ESPN. For what? <laughs> what? Like, why, why, yeah. what are you going to do with it? What do you want to be there just to say you were there? Yeah. I, let me tell you, let me explain something that I haven't explained to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I've been telling people I was going to get to ESPN since I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And I will play ball every single shot. Until they, they, they used to call me Sports Center because that's what I used to say. I remember you doing a little bit of that at Rec at, at BC too. <laughs> I'm a witness. I'm a witness. And I'm telling you because I, you know, I'm in my head, one way, shape, or form, if God says yes to what I'm asking, I'm gonna get. I'm going to have it. Amen. Amen. So now, what happened was, I had to go through hell. And high water. I went through depression. I went through anger outbursts. I, I like I lost it. I there was a point where I I had to I was talking to God, and I told my dad I broke down, and I told my dad I said, hey, "Look, I feel like I'm talking to God. And I'm not hearing anything. Come back." Right. I was I went through grad school, five classes, a job working for the New York Times, interviewing LeBron James, and I was still very much self-conscious and insecure about my abilities. Because mm -hmm. I was listening to certain people with authority tell me that, well, you don't do this well, you don't do that well, you don't do that well. And, my, and out loud, I would say, well, I'm going to do better anyway. But inside, I was feeling pain. In my, in my mind, I was saying, John, it's not good enough. you got to do it better. Until I, until I lost who I was. And I lost my identity because at a certain point, one professor who I was, I, I've never, we never were a fan of each other. But the smartest thing she ever said to me at Brooklyn College, smartest thing she ever said to me was, at some point, you're going to have to say, no, this is who I am. This is how I do it. Take it or leave it. She said, you can't keep, she said, you can't keep switching because somebody says they doesn't like. And I said, but, and I said to her, you're the one holding my grade. Mm -hmm. I just want to do what I have to do to get the highest grade possible. And she was like, that's not the point of the program. So I said, you explained to me what the, I was in grad school. I said, you explained what the point of the program is. I said, because I'm working my butt off and I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, I, I was one, it was 12 people to start. I was number 13 in grad school. <laughs> I never got an acceptance letter. Wow. I never, honest, true story. I never got to accept this letter. Wow. 
I, I went after it three times, and I got denied three times. I went home. And this is a very true story, I swear to you. I went home, and I told my mother, I said, Ma, they told me no again. She said, get out the house. Do not, do not come back until you are a grad student. And I got so upset. I said, Ma, you act like I'm not trying. I'm, they said no. What do you want me to do? She said, I don't care what you have to do. Do not come back. I'm telling you, don't come back. And you know, you know when, when, when black mothers tell you don't come back, if you do come back without what she asked for, <laughs> you're going to be in some serious trouble. So I said, I said, okay. I showed up in the class. I literally walked in the class, first day of class. I wasn't even a student. Wow. I walked in and I sat down and I just sat and listened to the entire class. And she looked at me, the professor looked at me, didn't even know that she was the deputy chairman. She's, she looks at me and she goes, huh, teaches the whole class, gets to the end of the class, and then she says to me, you're not going to go away. I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't go home. Whatever I have to do, I will show up every single day. I will take every test. I, I this, Honest to God is exactly what I told her. God is my witness. I said, I will take every test. I will do every essay. I will shoot everything. And then I don't care what it is. I just have to. I cannot go home. She looked at me. She stared at me. She said, you better not. She, you better not waste my time. And she walked me all the way across campus into, into, the, um, into West Quad. Yeah, into the to, to registrar. And she walked me into the back, and she said, look, I need you to print an acceptance letter. Wow. And she was like, look, don't embarrass me. Went through grad school, lost my mind, lost all of that, went hard. 12 started. I was 13. Three people walked. Wow. Half of them just cut it off and said, look, I can't do it. This is too hard. Three people walked. Three. And I was one of the three. Remember, I wasn't the guy that got an acceptance letter. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never technically got in. Right. But I finished. Wow. And that's and that's the point that I was that I was was telling is that it's it's so important to make a decision on your life and what you want to do. Forget about what people are people's opinions are on what you should do. It doesn't matter what they think about what you should do. That's the thing that kills our mental health. Yep. It's because half of it is spent doing what we think other people would like. That's accurate. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much time there that when we finally pick our head up and we realize that, look, I don't really care about what anybody is thinking. You wasted 30 years. And not to say that you can't do what you wanted to do, but think about what you can do when you maximize the time by not caring about the opinions of people that actually don't want to see you succeed. They just want to make sure you stay here long enough so they feel great about themselves. That's a bar. So, like, so, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, facts. And, and then guess what? When I was in grad school, I got all the way to the end and I walked on all of that. And guess what? I went without a job for over seven months. Talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, because remember, they, when you, once you get degrees, you're supposed to get a job. Mm -hmm. They said you get a job. Once you, if you had two degrees, who's not going to hire somebody with a master's degree? <laughs> who's, who, they must be crazy not to do that. Uh, but guess what? The matter is, 
I went from interviewing LeBron James, running behind Darren Williams, having conversations uh, with Jared Collins and with Jason Kidd and all these people and all these MLB, NFL, all these things, and I was jobless. Had a reel and was jobless. Everybody on the team, that, I, and then during that time, I should say, I, I found one of the, my, my mentors, one of the, the greatest writers of our time, my guy, Bill Roden. I'm forever, like, I'm forever indebted to him because the story of how I got to ESPN is because of him. Wow. He was, he was, we, we did stories for him for the New York Times. And then when it was over, he says to me, you know, everybody had got a job. One of my guys went to Pittsburgh. I think, I forgot where he was working for. It was for a team, one Pittsburgh team. Another person went to Los Angeles. And everybody else had a job, and I was jobless. And I was searching every single day. And he was having it. He was interviewing the former president of the company, John Skipper. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm not just doing the same thing, looking for a job. He said, I want you to wear a suit and meet me at the Marriott in Manhattan. Send me the address or whatever. He said, just show up and meet me there. It was the NAMIC uh, conference, and I didn't have a credential. I didn't have pass or anything like that. I was hiding in the bathroom, and I went through the first door that I saw, and he happened to be sitting in the back. That had to be God because I didn't know where I was going. And he showed up, and he says, he interviews John Skipper, and then he introduces me to my, to my boss now, mm. who later on ended up giving me the job. and say, mm. look, look, we want, we got to have you here. We just don't have anything for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I took that, I took a promise that God made me. He promised me that would be great. And I, and I held on to it. And the thing is, it's more, it's so important to hold on to every bit of encouragement. See how you gave that young guy encouragement. He's going to hold on to that for the rest of his life. For as long as he can, because life is going to throw things at him, and he's going to hear, "Okay, I'm somebody. I have capabilities. I can do something. I can do this." And it may get tough, and it may be, it may the voice may end up being faint after he gets hit over and over and over again, but it won't go away because he believed and said to him, "You know, guys, I, I appreciate. You know, you you can do this." So. It's just one of those things where you ha- we have to constantly shape the way we think. We have to constantly do that. I'm 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 one thousand percent in alignment with what you just said. Everything you just said. Um, I think, and obviously you 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 spoke to this, right? I think. I think, uh, and I'm not even talking about people of color, and I'm just talking about us holistically as a society. I think people often tend to people often tend to halt themselves from success when they take a punch in the face you know they get a gut punch they get punched in the face one or two times and me and mark this is all the podcast is about we talk about this all the time you know when you lose it's supposed to be a lesson it's not an, it shouldn't be an embarrassment. It shouldn't be a put down. It is a lesson for what you've experienced and how do you move forward with the losses that you've, you, you, you've uh, experienced and you learn from it so that way you don't repeat the same steps again, right? I think oftentimes as a society, 
you know, that kid who, you know, didn't, you know, who, who thought he was going to be a rock star out of college and, you know, was a broadcast journalism major and, you know, did the things you did. And maybe he wanted to be more on the reporting side, although I know you did reporting too, myself as well. Shout out to the Kingsman. <laughs> um, but like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you went and you did that and you, you, you had so many uh, chances to cover high profile athletes. You had so many stories, so many highlights, so many clips, you know, um, and you added that to your portfolio that when you don't get that illustrious job you're looking for upon graduation, upon going to commencement, that might shatter you as, 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 as a, as a young 22, 23 year old male or female graduating from college. Like you bank it that everything is riding on you completing college and maybe your first gen, second gen college student and you might not have the, the, the connections or the network, right? Um, and so you think that everything's done. Like to this day, like John, I know people who graduated with their bachelor's or their master's and they think that they're done. They think that they're done and they never continued and they allowed that to eat at their mental health. And I say that to say, myself included, I remember when I graduated from Brooklyn College in 2014 with my bachelor's, and I thought I was going to work in publishing as like an editorial assistant, because, you know, I'm, I'm a huge literature, huge book fanatic. I love books. Like, book is, books are my life. That's, books are my passion, right? So when I internshiped at, um, when I did an internship at two major publishers, one being Macmillan and the other one um, being a Random House, after I didn't get a job, I was crushed. I was like, oh my gosh, like, why did I do all this time, all, you know, doing internships, all this stuff, my grades were stellar, you know, um, like, and I don't have anything to show for it. I actually had to go back to Queensboro, where I initially started prior to going to Brooklyn, and I got my associate's degree and worked there as a college assistant. When I say to you, my brother, that was the most humbling experience of my life because it felt as if like I did a 360 and I was back at square one. But you know what's so crazy, my brother? Around that time, I told myself, you know what? I guess this is all I'm good for. I guess this is all I'm going to be. I'm just going to stay here. But I felt as if God was telling me, no, no, just be patient, my son. There's so much more in store for you. Just be patient and hold on to the course. And as I continued to work there, even though I worked there for like three years, I would say, like I felt as if God just like, Bing, put a light in my head. Go to school. Go back to grad school. Go to grad school. Get get a master's. And I'm like, God, I don't know. But you know what? You telling me this? I'm getting dreams of filling out an application. I'm going to do it. I applied. I got in. I'm like, okay, God, I'm doing this. What's next? And, you know, years are passing. I'm on year three. And I'm like, dang it, man. I'm still here, you know, at this at, at, at this college at Queensboro. And all my, com you know, I'm not, not competitors. But all my peers are, you know, working at Morgan Stanley. They're a financial analyst here working at, you know, um, uh, Wells Fargo. All these, you know, great lofty positions. I'm like, man, like, I got to stay on social media, man, because this is really playing to my mental health. And we're going to get on that, social media and mental health. Um, but, like, all of these different things, right? And I remember just about getting my master's, like I was like a, like a couple months off, I applied for Teach for America. I said, man, I got to get out of here because it doesn't look like things are happening for me in New York City. So I applied for Teach for America. I got in. And I remember um, my mentor, uh, she, she worked at Queensboro with me. She, uh, she, she was a professor uh, in, the, in the speech communications department, a, a black woman. And, and she, she took me in as her son, you know, and, 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 and as, a, as a mentee. And she helped mold me and she kept pushing me. Like, she didn't want to see me stay at that spot. So the same way I spoke life to that kid, she spoke life to me. She knew that that wasn't all I was meant to do, you know. And she was a Christian, too, so and a believer. So she obviously, we, we, we built a great strong relationship due to our shared connection of belief and spirituality. And I remember she told me like, I'm going to coach you. I'm also a speech coach too. I'm going to coach you to make sure that when you go for your interview, you will do well and you will succeed. 
And I remember, John, I went to my interview for Teach for America. I, I, I thought I nailed it, but I wasn't sure. And then maybe three days later, I got an email saying that I got accepted. My brother, I was in the QCC gym getting ready to uh, put on my shirt and my shorts to go hit the uh, basketball court and go ball out at rec. John, when I tell you, like, I cried. And I, she was on the phone with me. And I told her what it was. And I just cried tears of joy because all the suffering and pain that I that I went through, not having a job, you know, um, um, you know, taking the bus, taking two buses a day to go to work, you know, um, in the freezing cold sometimes. Sometimes I would leave work eight o'clock at night and would just freeze just waiting to get home. I didn't have a car. So but like God just said, I felt as if God was saying, just be patient. And he one thing he does is that when you're patient. He rewards your patience. Patience is a virtue with him. When you're patient, he rewards that. And so I remember just bawling uncontrollably because I knew at that point I had gotten what it was that I had worked for. And instantly after that, my life had changed, brother. But I say all that to say a lot of people, for some reason, it seems as if like they just can't see the, 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 the end goal in sight after they get that first blow. And it becomes a snowball effect as it affects their mental health. What do you think? One of the, I think you said something so phenomenal is, well, you explained something so phenomenal. You went through it all. You went through all of it. And that's the thing mm -hmm. is, a lot, of, a lot of people, they don't want to go through it. They want the end product. They want, they want the championship. They don't want the training. Right. You know, they want the promotion. They don't want the responsibility. Mm -hmm. They'll take the money, but they don't take. They don't want the work. And, yeah. and and I fell in love a long time ago with the process. And if you want to be successful, fall in love with God's process, because that teaches you patience, humility, focus, consistency, and structure. I and guess what. You're talking to somebody who did not jump on God's process first. I'm the type, I see it. If I visualize it, I can make it happen. And I go after it and I spend, I devote myself into it and I stick on it and I keep going over and over and over and over again. And God had to pull me back and tell me, look, here's a better way. If you just shut up and listen to what I'm showing you, then you would then your life will be set up mm -hmm. so once i said you know you said when you said you know god was preparing you for for what you were doing you went through it it was so important for you to go through that because now you understand the weight of your current position mm -hmm. if he gave you what you asked for when you asked for it you would lose it and a lot of times we don't get what we pray for, what we ask for, or what we work hard for immediately simply because we are not capable of holding it yet. Everybody want to bench 315, but you can't get 315 off the rack. <laughs> so it's a, you have to build up to 315. Yeah. I mean, calisthenics, I still haven't got my first 100 clip of push-ups. But I'm at 60, and I'm like, I, look, I was at 30 a while ago. Mm -hmm. I was at 20. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was at 10. And the thing is, fall in love with the process. If you want to be successful, fall in love with the process of the very thing that you want to do in a life and spend your life focused on being great at that. 
Don't spend your time focusing on the things that you think will make other people think that you're great. It's not like all that glitters is not gold. So it's like that mentality of, well, I know we're going to talk about social media soon, but that mentality of, oh, I see this person was successful doing this. I think I could do that. No, I'm a firm believer in do what you are great. I never, I have a, I have a rule. I don't do, I don't dive into something that I'm not great at doing. Because why would, why waste my time trying to be someone else or trying to do something else when I'm not, it's just not who I am. It's not what I do. And I used to try to mimic this person or mimic that person. Oh, I could do that. Or that looks easy. And you waste so much time. No, spend your time. You get, God gave you 24 hours in a day. And eight of those hours you're supposed to be sleeping. So you, we got 16 left to make a decision. 12, to be honest. So what are you going to do with the 12 hours that you have? Are you going to spend your time complaining about your current situation? Are you going to spend your time worrying about the next hit that could hurt? I used to box. And one of the things that one of my trainer used to tell me was the, the same line that Mike Tyson would say. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. True. And my, <laughs> my, my trainer used to say, what are you going to do after you get punched in the face? And I was like, well, I'm not going to get punched in the face. And he would say, everybody gets punched in the face, John. Everybody gets punched in the face. Some people get knocked out. Some people get knocked down. And some people punch back. He said, I, have, has, I only have one rule for you. You can't do the first two. You can only do the last one. And I took that and said, look, no matter what it is, I'm swinging back. You, 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 know, you know the hood where I grew up in. Right? Yeah. You, you've, seen, you've seen it. Yeah. So it's like, there is no, there is no, all right, no, I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm just not just gonna take the hits. No, is it you swing back or you keep getting hit? So it, it is the same mentality swing back. Mm. And it, we get so caught up on how bad that hit hurts, you don't even realize you're still getting hit. Yeah. People get hit so hard sometimes, they don't even realize that the thing that's hitting them, because you're thinking about it, because you internalize it, you're still getting hit. Mm -hmm. The best way to stop a fight or to stall it is to hit back. Yeah. A lot of people curl up and they hold it in tight to, like, you know what? It'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. And it's never over. You know why? Because by the time it stops, you realize that, well, I could have ended this a while ago by just swinging back or just getting back up and trying again. I prep, I prep for the punch in the face. I don't prep to have my hand raised. So mm. prep to have you, to prep for the punch. Prepare for the, it's coming. It's inevitable. No one gets through a battle. No one gets through a war without a scar. <laughs> so if you know that the scars are inevitable, the cuts are inevitable, then fighting is part, is part of the process. So the faster you accept that, okay, look, I'm gonna have to fight. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make a decision to turn around. Yes, this may not work out, but I have to figure out a way around. 
or I have to be prepared to pivot if I give it everything I have and I realize that it's not for me. Pivoting isn't retreating. Remember that. Pivoting is changing direction. So and you can't, we can't, we have to stop accepting the first hit or the first blow to knock us down and allowing it to knock us out. That is the problem. They allow the hits to knock them down and out. Yep. You have to, you have to be able to get hit and hit back and hit harder because eventually it won't be a fight anymore. Eventually it, cha it changes from a fight to a massacre in the other direction because you stop you because the one thing the reason why I love boxing so much Kevin, is because it is a beautiful science it's an art form it is it really is and and one of the things my trainer had taught me was he said the sexiest thing you could do is slip and hit back mm-hmm he said, you don't understand how he used to tease me and say, you know, the girls, you, you're going to have so many girls if you do this, job." And he would say, slip and hit. He said, you, you, you ever he catch somebody off guard? A lot of people don't know that the enemy gets caught off guard every single time you rejoice when you lose. Imagine a crazy person talking about, like, yeah, bro, you just lost. Right. But I learned this. Let's go. But I learned this. Let's go. But I figured this out. Now I know what I, I don't have to do. But there's no other opportunity. Yes, there is. I just won't have it with you, but I'll have it with somebody else. Perspective. Yeah. Perspective, yep. We, we accept the first one that comes to us. The, the pain is the perspective that we harbor on. But one of my best friends told me, it's not about, it's not about what's being done to you. It's about what's being done for you. So you take medicine and it's disgusting. It's not what it's doing to you at the moment. When you take it, it's nasty. It's about what's being done for you. It's healing your body so that you can be stronger to move forward. Your, your failures, your, your, your incapabilities, your insecurities, it's not what they're doing to you. The question is, what are they doing for you? How, what can you take and maximize to get better? A lot of people say, I failed in grad school. I didn't get in. I took that and said, all right, what it's going to do for me is give me the energy, coupled with my mama, to get forward and go, go after it again. I went after it again. Got in. I didn't have a job. Keep going. I got a job at the place where I thought that I would end. God will take your beginning and flip, take your ending, which you were say, this is where I'm going to end up in my life, and flip it and make it your beginning. And I say, okay, now what? Mm. So now perspective, perspective. What are, we, what are you doing after you get hit? And my thing is, I hit back. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it, my brother. Um, so check this out. We have about eight minutes left here on this live but i think i have two more points to get to you with so we might be on here for about another 20 so are you cool with going for another eight and then after that doing another live for an additional 10 15 to close it out the proper way let's do it because i think the people are really enjoying this content we're giving them tonight um so one of the final two points i have for you is uh social media um, and John, I remember going back to it again, like, you know, uh, graduating from college, going into grad school, I was down and out, you know, just trying to like 
figure out how to like make a way and you know going to social media while i was sitting in that seat or that chair as a college assistant at queensboro all i did all day bro was just scroll through facebook man just looking at everybody's life looking at every everybody's statuses literally from like nine to three when i punched out and then when i got home on the when i got on the when i got to the bus stop to go to go home and I was just sitting on the bus, I'd be jamming, I'd be bumping, listening to my music, but I would still be scrolling, my brother. And then from there, I just, just led me down this rabbit hole uh, within the art of self, you know, the art of self-comparison and just comparing myself to people, right? But one thing that happened to me was that once I became, once I got accepted to that Teach for America program, I became a teacher and I moved to Connecticut. When I started like prepping up that summer to become a teacher, I was like, oh, Kev, this is... This is not what you were doing before. This is real life work, man. You're going to be uh, teaching the kids, inspiring the youth, and also as well as teaching curriculum. There's a lot of work here, brother. You got to actually put in that time. And now you know me. I'm not one that's opposed to hard work. I love it. But I realize, okay, like what is currently taking away your time right now? Social media. You're going to have to cut it, bro. You're going to have to cut it. So literally, I started teaching that fall, August, September. By November, I, I made a pact with myself that by November, I was going to cut social media out. That was November of 2017, John. And now it is November 2020. And I literally can go three, four weeks now without hitting the Facebook app on my phone. But what's so crazy is that Facebook is always like sending me updates and notifications like, hey, look at this, look at this. Because it seems as if now the algorithm is like, man, a lot of people aren't really checking their social media now for updates, whatever. You know what? Let's give them notifications. Let's tell them what John McCloud is doing. Let's tell them what Mark Pruden is doing. Let's tell them what this person updated. Before, correct me if I'm wrong, prior to that, your notifications was what people said towards you. So yep. it's so crazy how the psychology of the, and the ecosystem of the network itself is trying to suck people back in. And I think that all affects our mental health. What are your thoughts on that, brother? There's a fantastic documentary on Netflix, um, The Social Dilemma. And they interview uh, directors of fanning, uh, of, customer engagement at, at Facebook, at Twitter, and they created algorithms to say, like, okay, this person spent this amount of time looking at this. Let's send him an ad with something related to that and then follow it up with this video that's related to that. Follow this video. So they keep you, and they even interviewed the guy that invented the Infinity Scroll. The ability to go through over and over and over again and he said it was never designed to do what it's doing now. What I, the one thing I'm a very, talk about that. Say it again? Talk about that. Talk about that. Expound upon that, please. The, it was never, like, here's the thing is the wealthiest people in the world map out their time. And when I learned this, I did the same thing. The smartest, my, my thing is I try to get up at a good time. And then I, my first day, I, my first amount of time, I spend with God. Mm -hmm. Then I look at I look into I look into my business. Okay, what what tasks for the business do I have to do today? Even though I prepped it the night before. Okay, did that. Work go work out. I get up. I, I go do my calisthenics. Regardless if I'm in New York or Connecticut, make sure that you have a way to keep a routine. Routine is the key, is what I'm saying here. And you can decide what you want to do with your life. Other people's suggestions or influencers, social media influencers to influence you to keep watching and stay on social media, 
It's your choice because they're influencing you. They're not commanding you. Perspective. Mm -hmm. it's, it's influence, not a command. So now, mm -hmm. but we get so pulled in because we're influenced by our desires. We have an innate desire to see what people are doing, see what they're doing with their lives, see what they're doing in professional careers, see how, like, oh, I remember when this person was doing this. Wow, now they're doing that. When did that happen? Then you start looking at, oh, wow, this person, this person took a picture with Magic Johnson. How in the world did they get there? Oh, I just see another picture. He got a job here or she got a job there. Oh, she does this now? Oh, wow. I remember when, and guess what? 45 minutes go by and you spent so much time focusing on one person's life. Why? Because of social media. How do we change that now? How do we, how do we shift the, from influence to control? People get on me all the time. Like I just started posting on social media again a little bit more frequently. In the beginning, like I'll, and there was a certain point where I just shut it off and all I listened to is uh, audiobooks. I'm a huge, oh, so you're a physical book guy? I'm an audiobook guy. I love audiobooks. I will go through 30 to 50 audiobooks in months. Like I will cram. I love that. So I stopped, I took away my social media time and spent, and spent it ingesting the knowledge that I wanted to use for my future. I'm going to be, the Bible says, I desire you to prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So, okay, God wants me to be successful. I'm going to be wealthy. I have to prepare for that. I'm not going to waste my time looking at somebody else's life because that's not going to make me wealthy. I don't want to be rich. Rich is temporary. Wealth is eternal. I don't want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. To get wealthy, I must spend time learning what the wealthy do. What does Bill Gates do? Okay, he wakes up early. He does this. He does this. He does this. All right, Jeff Bezos does this, does this, does this. Nowhere in any of the most wealthiest people in the world do they ever include social media. 100%. John, I'm going to stop you right there for a quick moment because I see that we have about 40 seconds left. So hold on to that thought, all right? We'll right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get right back within this chat in about the next minute minute and a half 90 seconds or so so we're the wise guys stay tuned we're about to cut off in a couple of seconds and we'll be right back what's up yo it's at life with ace with the upcoming brand from connecticut eternal life no cap when you shop with us it's more than just clothes it's a lifestyle for real for real I was able to link up with the Wise Guys podcast, and when you mention Wise Guys while ordering, you could get 10% off your next purchase. You can find us on Instagram at eternal underscore underscore life underscore underscore. Remember, the promo code is Wise Guys at eternal underscore underscore life underscore underscore. Bye, Black, y'all. Peace and love. No cap. Wise Guys live. I'm here still with my brother. John McLeod, and we are currently talking about mental health and POC culture. Uh, my brother, John, to kind of uh, backtrack and get you connected to where you once were, you were connecting the Bible and spirituality with social media and how nowhere in the Bible it says what? Continue. <laughs> I, I was saying basically nowhere in the Bible does it say that God didn't want you to be successful was my point. Mm -hmm. The things that hinder our success are the things that influence us. Hence the term influencers. 
you get to decide what influences you. Now, the the idea behind social media being the distraction is is completely in your control. I've seen so many people. Grant Cardone is a good is a good hype experience uh, hype experience guy. I call him because he he says you guys are using social media to scroll and, and look at other people. I've used the social media to make six figures. And he does crazy things on social media in which is, he, he uses it to further his business and do does he does amazing things with it and he's he's a multimillionaire. The thing is, it's a tool. Some right. people use tools to destroy their lives and the houses and the things that they built. Some people use tools to build up the, the their dreams and what they want to do with it. So it doesn't have to be a distraction, but it can, it, but it can also be a tool, and that's the thing. It's perspective. How do people look at it? How do people look at it? How do people view you? Is one of the things that we get caught up in when it comes to mental health. And then it, you, one of the things that is like the the topic for tonight is mental health in, in the POC in the, in the POC world. The people of with people of color. The thing is. We get so, and, I'm, and, it, and it hurts me to say this, but it's absolutely true. And it happens in other cultures. I don't want to say it just just uh, POC culture, but we get caught up in the oh, this is what oh, this is this looks dope. Oh, they got cars and girls and money. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Let's do that. Okay, how do I achieve that? When I think my my opinion is. We should be focused on, okay, what are the resources? What is the process that they use in order to sustain that? The question is, how are they sustaining that? Right. I've been blessed to have conversations with CEOs and presidents of companies, and the one thing they always focus on is transformation, elevation. Those two things come combined, but the biggest thing is sustainability okay if we do something can we sustain it mm-hmm. and then can we grow it right is, is this something that we can do and that's the thing is we get caught up like I, i'm big on teaching my kids okay if you love if you love this so much buy it don't spend your time giving your money to somebody else make it work for you and then you won't have to work for somebody else. I'm spending my time digesting education. I learned, I'll be honest with you, I learned 10 times more outside of school than I ever did in school. But was school required? Yes, it was. Did I, did I need it? Yes, I did. But I, I'm seriously invested in mental health and in the, in the, in the communities of people of color because I think we have to destroy it in every way. We have to burn it to the ground. That stigma that says that we cannot have the conversation. We have to stop that. Kev, we have to stop it. It is important because we are destroying ourselves and our abilities to be successful simply because we won't deal with one specific issue. We have to stop not having a conversation about why you're upset that your dad never came back. 
We have to stop talking. Why? Why you're so upset that your mom is forcing you to do what she did? We have to stop this conversation of like I, I have, I am hurt by this, and I I don't like I don't deal with this family member because of this, and not ever having a conversation because we take that and we apply those same rules that life taught us with that moment, and we plaster it all across everywhere we go. It's like a trail of blood that's just following us. And our community is bleeding out simply because we won't have a conversation about what's going on up here. It's not as, it's, a lot of times, it's not as bad as it, as it can be if we just said, look, this is how I received that. What you said is how, this is how I received it. Because we say, well, hold on. This person said, what to me? Time mm -hmm. out. I've done this, this, and this. There's no way they should ever. But we don't even know that person X just had a gotten to a fight with, 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 their, with their family. Just got, went through a divorce. Just is about to... So many things going on in each person's individual life that it really is very, very, very dangerous that we don't sit down and say, look, Here's what's bothering me. Yeah. How do we understand each other is a huge, huge question that I always ask. It's not about the problem. It's how do we fix the problem? We yeah. spend too much time focusing on what the problem is and how the problem came to be. How do we fix it? You're absolutely right. And you know why, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, you know why I feel as if we can't sort out the problem or we just can't pinpoint it, especially in the Black community, is because we've been so ingrained to operate in, to operate in organized chaos and dysfunction for so long that we don't even realize that as a community, as a Black family, as a dynamic within our family structure, our lineage, we operate in chaos. We call our loved ones just to talk gossip, just to see what's going on, just to see how this person... And I'm not saying that to say as if, you know, white people or people of other races don't do, it, do that too, but it, it seems to be a, a, a source, a source of knowledge, not knowledge, a source of energy that we feed into. We feed off of negativity. We love it. We love the thrill of negativity. We love the thrill of jealousy or, you know, to gloat in each other's face and show what we don't, what, what, what the other person might not, might have or might not have or whatever, whatnot. And we, we bring that oftentimes in our community uh, amongst ourselves and it's crazy or we we hide opportunities from each other and i know you know that working in the corporate space you know being a, a, a fellow brother such as myself or yourself working in the corporate space a lot of young brothers who are around our age who may get to work with us you know um you know they may be looking for opportunities and there may be someone who, who's our who's our senior um maybe not by much let's say 38 39 40 they just got there they don't want to relinquish anything that they've learned because they're like, he's a threat to me. I'm not going to teach him everything I know because I worked so hard to be here and I, I, I'd rather have this moment all to myself. I, I want to be tokenized. I want to be with, and I want to uh, swim within the pool of, of excess because we've been marginalized for so long that it can only be a few of us at the top of the pillar at certain points of time, man. It's crazy. Ooh. You said something so heavy. The mentality of the broken. The, that is, the, you said something so heavy. It is insane 
the amount of people I've had conversations with that give me vague, in the beginning, they gave me vague answers as to, well, and, and I'm talking about brothers. And I'm not just talking about black brothers. I'm talking about Spanish brothers I went to. Like, I don't, like, I don't just choose my people to talk to because their perspective is bigger than people that look like me if I want to get to a certain area, specifically speaking about in the professional world. Now, when I, I'm telling you, what you just said was so heavy is because I heard a man tell me to my face, I can't tell you that because you're not going to come and take my job. And I sat there and was just, I, I, and I said, who said I wanted your job? And he said to me, he goes, young buck, you don't know how this world works. And I said, it's not the way the world works. It's how you're choosing to work in the world. But it's okay. I'll see you again. That same person does not have a job now because they did the same thing to somebody else. And the biggest thing they threw at that, threw at that man because he didn't listen was that you're, you, we, we're letting you go because of your inability to be a team player. To see, the thing is, success is not something that is directed at one type of people. Mm. It's not directed at one person, one type of people, one type of... No, no, no. Everybody can be successful if you choose to be. Mm. Now, what you're successful at is determined by you. You can be successful at being nothing. Mm. You can be successful... At being, at, at being a president of something. You can be successful at being a business owner. You can be a successful janitor if that was your goal. The question is, what does success really mean? It is saying you're going to do something and actually doing it. That's what it means. It is not what people think of you. It is not what people put together and say here 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 is what we define as success and social media will do that to you 1.4 million followers will tell you that you are a success when you have zero to zero to accomplish you who are you lifting up and the only time you lift somebody up is if you're partnering with them to help build your brand and I'm not speaking against partnerships and building brand, but my thing is this. I can't tell you how many people that I will say, like, wow, they got to great levels in their lives, and then they turn around, and they refuse to, to help anybody. Well, how did you do this in the beginning? Oh, well, no, you know, it takes this and this, but, like, what were your specific processes that led you to, I, man, it would take me too long to go through all of that. And, it, and you, in your head... It, I'm just looking at them like, you know, you can say, look, if people get upset, I've had people tell me, people that are very, very successful, tell me, you need to stop giving away your secret sauce. That's a bad habit you have. And I'm like, I'm like, well, why is it a bad habit? He said, because you're empowering somebody to beat you. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you know another John McLeod? Like, no, but that's not the point. I said, no, no, no. Do you know somebody that looks like me, talks like me, breathes like me, moves like me, acts like me, has done the things that I do, believe what I believe? Have you met that, met that guy yet? Where is he? 
-hmm. Like, no, obviously there's only going to be one you. And I cut them off. I said, if there is only one me, then I can only be me. No matter what I give to the person, they can only emulate and do it their way. Okay. You are not going to lose by helping somebody. You're not going to lose by, by giving away the resources or your experiences. Mm. You're going to gain. I've, I've helped so many people. And I wasn't even, in my mm. point, my opinion, I wasn't even successful. Mm. I, I like, I, I, what, when I was first starting out in real estate, I never forget I helped this, this young guy. And he was a go-getter. Like, I love to do because I'm a go-getter. So when I see somebody else like me that's younger, that's like, let's get it. Let's go. Doesn't even matter. I don't care what happened. Oh, well, let's move on to the next one type of thing. I was all for it. I helped him get, I hadn't gotten anything yet. The young dude, I think he was about 17 or 18 years old. And this was just a few, this was a few years back. And he closed a, he closed a deal that got him $20,000. And I had zero. And I said to myself, that is so dope for him. I was mm -hmm. so proud. And you know what? It will hurt my heart the most is he turned around and was like, yeah, I got this now. I'm good. I didn't want to listen anymore. Didn't want like, hey, brother, you shouldn't do that. This is made a lot of bad decisions and destroyed and, de and destroyed himself and had to come back. And I just said to him, like, man, like, it was almost like, yeah, I'm up now. I'm good. I made it. I'm sorry. I don't got time. I know you poured into me, but I got to go. Success is calling me. And right. I said, to, and I say to myself, like, all right, I'm not going to do I can't do anything about the way that person thinks. That's his life that he's, he's decided to, this is what he's going to do with his life. I'll, I'll move on. But I'm saying that to say that for free, if you're really about success, if you're really about your own success and other success in general, it doesn't matter who is happening, if you can help somebody, then you are successful. Mm. If you can help push somebody else, you're not going to be here for long anyway. Right. What are you holding on to? Right. I tell my wife and my family this, I'm, the reason why I'm, I'm going to be wealthy and so my family don't have to worry about finances is because I cannot pass my son my job at ESPN. Mm. I cannot. It's not a succession right thing. It's not it's not in the contract. I cannot say he's the next person coming up when I'm done. If I if I if I don't map out a blueprint for him and, and my daughter, they're gonna have to start from scratch like I did. So now I'm gonna work my butt off so that they don't have to start from scratch. They can start with a head start. Yes. Because I know what started from scratch looks like. Yes. I know what being around people that don't know what being wealthy and is about. So if I have to read the books, if I have to go have the conversations, if I have to go, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to let society tell my kids to tell me that this is what life has for you. Take it. That's it. Next. No. And we can't, we have to stop letting social media dictate what our lives are going to be. We have to stop looking at other people's lives and their forms of success 
in their lives and comparing it to ourselves and saying that, Dad, I have to do more. What are you going to do more of? And why are you going to do more? For what? What is your why? Mm. What is the point of you doing this? Who is it for? My why are, are, are the three people in the next room. My beautiful wife and my beautiful kids. That's my why. That's why I work my butt off. That's why I fall in love with the process. That's what I do it for. We, we Social media sometimes gives you that hope of you can be anything you want as long as you act fake, you, 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 you express your body, or you do something very specific really, really, really well. And if it works for you, then do that. But for the other 99% that can't do that and they're following that, I speak to them and say, be yourself. Be great at whoever you are because you're going to waste your time chasing somebody else's great ability and forget and don't even notice yours. Right. I've met so many people that want to be great in front of the camera, but they're phenomenal editors. <laughs> and I said, and I said, you know, you don't have to be in front, but no, I have a lot to say. And I just, it's just every time I get up, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right because you're not supposed to be doing it. <laughs> right, it's true. So that's what I'm saying, Kev. Like, you have to exist in your best version of yourself. And a lot of times God will show it to you. He'll throw you in, he'll throw hints at you. He'll make your vision plain to you, but we ignore it because it doesn't look as glamorous as the other people on social media. Because when you do operate in your gift and you post it, you get three likes. And two of those are from your brother and your mama. <laughs> so, so because we don't have that validation, we don't always exist. And God is telling you, it's, you don't need the validation when I told you yes. 100%. If I said yes, you can do it. Why do you need validation from anybody else? And then on top of that, too, you know, you might be getting those three likes from your mom, your brother, your sister, or 10, 15 likes from someone else. And then somebody pops out of the woodworks and says, yo, when they see you in person, like, yo, your, your, your content has been so inspirational, yo. Like, why'd you stop? Keep going. I love it. I thank you. Or like, they'll, they'll purchase your book and they're like, yo, like, I really support everything you do. I'm a huge fan of yours. And it's just like, you, you do it for the people it's meant to reach, you know, not to, not to put on a facade and not to, you know, touch the masses because the masses, you know, you know, are fickle. They're here one day, they're gone the next. But the people that it matters to, the people that God gave you the gift for so that way it could resonate, that's what it's meant for. And Kev, you said it perfectly. Operate, for, operate in the gift you're supposed to operate in so that you can affect the people that you're supposed to affect. The thing is, we want to do the things that are glamorous because the things that are glamorous will eventually get you on TV so your mama can watch you. And you can say, look, look, mama, mama, I made it. I played, I, I went through, I got to college and realized that I wasn't going to, there's no way I could get to the NBA. And I realized I never wanted to go to the NBA. Mm. All I, I realized all I wanted was I wanted a place where my family could watch me play. Mm. That was all. And oh, I yeah. found the league, and they came, and, it, and the family came and watched me, and I killed it. And next thing you know, I realized that's not what I wanted. Mm. I was like, "Oh, I really don't want to go to league because when I started thinking about it, okay, do you want to be traveling all the time away from your family? Do you want to be on the road?" I said, "What happens when you love basketball? I can play that all day, but what about the other aspects of life that you want? What about your work for God?" I asked myself. 
And once I realized, like, yeah, I'm never going to give that up. So, and, I, and then I said, I'm very determined. And God would say, like, no, you're not going to the NBA. And in my head, I'm saying, like, I'm going because nobody can guard me. So, right. <laughs> if you can't guard me, you're going to want me. And in my head, it's like, bro, there are 10 million other dudes your height and taller with the same handle with more abilities and everybody also can't guard them. So and what can you do that's different? That's crazy you say that then because John, for an undersized, for a real, real undersized dude, you nasty. So we had some we had some good wars and you're jumping. Oh, yeah. don't, don't even try to big me up. <laughs> No, but it's crazy because, like, again, you, we look at the ratios and then we have to say, all right, we need to be realistic here. You know what I'm saying? And we need to see what are some of the things because it happens to all of us. God is giving us signs and he's throwing or we're like, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. And then he, 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 he puts it right in front of your face. First, subtly. Then he puts it right. It's like you can't see it. It's like a barricade. You're like, where's the sign, God? Where's the sign? It's like it's right there, you know? <laughs> it's like that. It's like the story my dad told me when I was a kid. He's like. He, he was, I think he was, I forgot he was selling it too, but he said basically, he said the storm came and, and they was like, sir, do you want to come with us? We're going, we're going to shore, we're going to safety. He said, don't worry about it. He said, God is going to send, God is going to keep me and save my life and he's going to provide. And God sent a guy on a boat and he said, sir, do you need some help? And he said, nope, God is going to provide. You go on ahead, I'll be all right. God is going to come and get me, I'll be all right. He said, a plane came down and said, sir, would you like some help? He said, nope. God is going to provide. He got my back. He said, he, the guy ended up dying. He went to heaven. And he said, Lord, what happened? He said, what you mean what happened? I sent you a boat, a plane. He said, and I sent you another thing, but you never, you didn't take any other thing. And the thing is, we walk past the things that God set up for us all the time. The question is, you have to ask yourself, what am I good at that I'm ignoring? Mm -hmm. What do I do really, really well that I'm ignoring? Like, I had, to I had to stop and I had to think about that. I ran away from doing video production and stuff because I do so much for work. I was like, I really don't feel like doing it outside of work. And when I, and God would keep throwing it to me. Somebody would ask, yo, do you do video outside of work? I'd be like, yeah, a little bit. I never, when I got serious about it, God sent me this client, then another client, then another client. And before I knew it, I was like, you know what? Remember that wealth thing that you said you wanted? It has to start somewhere. And I walked away. I walked back to my gift. I walked away from my gift in the beginning. I walked back to my gift. I picked it up and started to use it. So the question is, what, like to the audience, what do you all do really well that you are ignoring? Mm. Operating your greatness it means operating the thing that you are specifically designed by God to do. What is that? And as a community, we always, we, especially the POC, we love to play basketball, football, to rap, to like, and then the, all the other stuff, like the artists and the scientists, they get some love, but not as much love as if you go play, you play ball at the PAL league or, or or you play AAU, or, or you go into some school to play ball, you're going overseas. The question is this. What do you do? Not, what, not just what you do well in one aspect, because, yeah, we play ball. We're nice. Great. But there's other 5 million 
people that also play ball that are nice. And of those five million, there's three million that really take it serious to the point where they cut off everybody else to do it. And then of that three million, there's one million that says, you know what? I like this is all this is all I have. And they just they they, they have four workouts a day. And they, excuse me, that's actually the one percent. But you see what I'm saying? They, yeah. It goes down to the, the bunch of people that it was designed for. We see the masses and we see the things that we think are cool, especially on social media, and we go straight for that. And we say, oh, I want to do that. I, like, I grew up, remember I tell you, I was like, da -da -da, I'm going to play ball. After I finished, my plan was this, play ball. Once I finish playing ball and I retire, if I have a lot, I'm going to go into broadcasting, and I'm going to be in front of the camera for a while, and then I'm going to relax and retire. That plan was so flawed, Kev. That plan was so flawed. A lot of our plans are, bro. <laughs> and I was determined. I had looked. I said, okay, what does Stephen A do? Okay, yeah, he didn't make it as bold, but he did X, Y, and Z. I followed Stephen A's plan. He was he went from a writer, then he went from writing to, to radio, to radio, to on TV, and on TV went. And I thought that's what I wanted to do until I tried it out myself. I even told people at ESPN, well, this is what I wanted to do. And then I tried it out myself, and I realized it's not what I wanted to do. Because when I had my own show, I had 10,000 fans, and I was, it was cool. I interviewed a lot of cool people, streetball legends, uh, you, know, you know, former NBA players, NFL players. And I realized after a while, I got to 100 episodes, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. Man. I was a host. I had a, I had a following. And it was like, ah, that's not what I wanted to do. And I realized the people in front, and this is where you start to realize the, the holes in your dream and what you really want to do. This is why I always ask the question, what did you do well? Because the thing that you do well is always the thing that guides you to your destiny. God puts something in your spirit, in some, inside your mind, inside your body, and you do it very seamlessly. You could do it in your sleep. And, and we ignore it because, you know what, maybe it doesn't get as much limelight. And we focus on the people that do what they do well and it gets a whole bunch of limelight, but we don't see that when the, when the cameras are off and they're off of social media, when they're grinding over and over again to do what they do well, but in practice. So that's why I always ask the question, what is it? What is it that we do well besides shooting a ball, throwing a ball, besides rapping and lyrics and besides what else, what else do you do well? How do you monetize on that? 100%, brother, 100%. Um, wow, brother, this has been excellent. This has been amazing. Um, and you know how this show works because you've been on it before. So I, I kind of want to, you know, head towards our final segment, which is the word to the wise, where we pick one word and then we expound upon that word. Or it could be a couple of words, a couple of phrases, um, you know. So I think I'm going <laughs> to, I think I'm going to not, for the first time on the show, I, I don't think I'm going to do a word, but I think I'm going to do a phrase and I'm going to quote it. Uh, kind of quote it might be a bit wrong my interpolation but i'm going to pull scripture straight from the bible i think it's proverbs 18:22 death is in the power and the tip of the tongue and what you speak and what you say will come to pass so i say that to say you know when it comes to you know a young kid saying i want to be successful and i want to do this i want to do that right if you tell god exactly that you know you know you have the talent to do to do this or that and the third, but you know because of like what you've been through in your life with your mother, your sister, and dysfunction in your family, you can't make a way out. If you start believing that you can, and you start saying, "God, what are the initial steps that it takes for me to get there?" The faith with the work 
right? And the prayer, you know, and you might not get there tomorrow. You might not get there next week. You might not get there next year. But if you put in the time and like you said, you fall in love with that process, you will eventually get there because everything comes to pass as much as you speak it into existence. And as what you were saying, you worked for that brother. You worked for that and you were patient with God and he rewarded you for your patience, for your grit, your, perse your perseverance, your determination and your hard work. So my entire message and word to the wise today is death is in the power, death, the matter of death and life is in the power of the tip of the tongue. So watch what you speak. When you speak it, be affirmative and go out there every day and, and do it as if you have nothing left in order to get it. So that's my word. What's your word today as we close out? What's your word to the wise, John? I'm going pick to piggyback on what you're saying is you, you just said, watch what you say, because what you say, your words will become life. I say, watch what you watch, what you watch because mm -hmm. what you see will in turn be your reality. You will start to internalize that. So watch what you're putting in front of you. You know, watch what you're putting into your ears, what you're listening to. It, and it doesn't always have to be social media. It doesn't always have to be uh, uh, whatever app or whatever game you're playing. Focus on what makes you great. Ask yourself the question, what do I do well? And how can that help me in my future? So watch what you're watching. Mm -hmm. that's potent my brother i couldn't have said it any uh, better so with that being said i want to leave that there uh so as you know this is going to be a live ig well this is a live ig but this is going to be a uh past recorded uh bonus episode of content for the wise guys podcast um and you know when the time comes wise community uh for those of you who are on tonight i will absolutely have the link up in my bio and it will be posted as it normally is on dsps so with that being said john can you please leave us with your um your 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 ig uh user handle and where people can find you online and talk a little bit about your initiative um at espn and 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 how you're helping if that's okay to wrap up uh uh my uh, Instagram handle is Mr. Outwork You. Um, I, I work for ESPN. I'm an associate producer, and we created the ESPN Trust Affinity Group. It's an affinity group designed to educate employees on mental health and to destroy the stigma and having the conversation that it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to have bad days mentally, physically, and all that things, and, to, and just normalize, just like if you have a broken arm, you treat it the same way if you're having a bad mental day. It's okay to, you know, to, to, to basically to have things fall apart and you still have support. So that's the group that we created to support our employees. Uh, we've been in existence for over two, for over two years, almost two years, um, and we don't intend to, uh, to stop. We, we're expanding all across the country and all across the world to try to help as many employees as possible. And I encourage all those in other companies to start having a conversation with your employees about mental health because you will in turn expand the uh the excellence of your of your of your staff of your family your work family and the people around you you it'll never hurt it'll always help john my brother thank you for your time Th thank you once again for coming on to the wise guys and thank you brother for always dropping gems i feel as if like these sessions can go on a lifetime. There's so many bars every time you hop on and your energy, your spirit is always magnetic. I don't know if I've told you this before, but again, I, you mean a lot to me in my life. I really look up to you and how you carry yourself as a man. And I look at, you know, how you carry yourself and watch how you move accordingly and, and, and seeing that you're so grounded in your belief of, of faith and self 
and assurance and determination, and as well as being a, a selfless guy and a selfless player in regards to your family, you are the ideal man. I know you're not perfect. I know none of us are perfect, you know, but you know, the, 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 the aiming for perfection is what I think a lot of young men should strive for. My brother, it's always an honor. Thank you for coming onto the show today. I thank you. I am always absolutely honored by your ability and your to digest information to have the conversation but i'm more so impressed with your ability to uh, uh just to be able to pass it on to the next generation you say you admire me i always admire as, as i watched you in action when we when we came to the career for i went to the school for the career fair and mm -hmm. the way those kids they listen to everything you say the second you walk in your presence changed i automatically knew that you were that you were as as I saw you as great to them as I saw you, and I'm so proud of you, man. Everything that I've seen you do in your battles, I've seen it. And I've been blessed to watch your journey. I can't for the life of me, I cannot. I'm so humbled that you chose me to be have this conversation with you. I can't wait to see the Wise Podcast when I flip on a uh, 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 ESPN Plus or somewhere when y'all sitting down having the conversations with athletes. And I'll be like, man, I might even shed a tear. I'm like, oh, man. I remember when my boy Kevin, my boy Mark, they were doing their thing. So I'm hey, looking forward to that, man. No, of course. Oh, yeah, we working, man. We working, definitely. We're in it for the long haul. I promise you. Man, my brother, thank you once again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. No, thank you. Ladies and gents, thank you for tuning in to the Wise Guys Live tonight with my boy, John McLeod. The Wise Guys podcast is available on as many streaming platforms that are out there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, uh, the whole nines, guys. Uh, just look up the Wise Guys podcast and we're there. All right. If you happen to have a question for myself, Mark, or even John, please be sure to DM us on our separate individual accounts. My individual handle is Kevin Anglade, A-N-G-L-A-D-E-1-1, all right? Uh, that's Kevin Anglade 1-1. One one. Mark's is Mark Pruden underscore Realtor, all right? Um, you know, check into his, uh, you know, Paris business, Mark Paris, as well as he's, you know, he's into uh, real estate heavy as well. He's a realtor now. So, you know, if you need some property out in the greater New York City area, please be sure to contact him. And we truly, truly appreciate y'all. So that is our show for this week. And our final Wise Guys Live for this season. We'll be back next season with more Wise Guys Lives. All right. So with that being said, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is your boy, Kevin Unglad, and we are joined by our very special guest. And you've been tuning into the Wise Guys podcast. We'll see you all soon. Take care. My brother, I appreciate you. I'm going to send you a text. All right, brother. Appreciate that. Have a great night. Absolutely. God bless. Say hi to the family for me and kiss the